Welcome to Ancient and Justified. MTV Party Zone. Revisit it. With me, James Hyman. And with me, Simone Angel. Hello, Simone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Hello, James. I'm doing good. Yes. Good, good, yes. good. Yes. Good. Let's quickly and, cut, uh, cut, cut to the chase. So we're basically, you are interviewing Mr. C today. Mr. C from The Shaman. Yes. Um, of course, he's a, you know, he's very talented in his own right. He was actually very talented before The Shaman. I mean, he was running those RIP raves at uh, Clink Street. Often the narrative of this whole acid house, they talk about Shoom, but you know, just around the corner mm-hmm. in Clink Street, you know, Mr. C was doing it too. And 14th of October, 1995, actually they were guests on dance. I remember bumping into him in the makeup okay. room. He was very, come on, you know, really confident geezer. I mean, what's interesting when you look right. back at them in, in, in hindsight, I think there's a lot of parallels in a way, between him and Keith Flynn. I mean, look, this guy was like, he's like a pinup. Look, this is a rave star on the front cover of Smash Hits. In fact, in the April 1993 issue, which this isn't, you had these cardboard cutouts. It was, I think, Take That, Michael Jackson, E17, and this dude. So he was up there representing, okay? So he was like a pinup of rave. How but funny. You know, on the covers, nice little mix mag here. So he's mm. like, you know, they said, I think it was the Face magazine said he was a real life folk devil, which to me, like Keith Flint, they were bad boys, but they were very popular. It's not like you loved or hated them. I have to say most people, we all loved an RIP Keith and Mr. C, you liked him. But, you know, in the sort of commercial big press and the Daily Mirror and the Sun who were like anti-drugs, you know, he was portrayed as a devil. So that must have been quite a a burden for him to bear back in the days, right? Oh, you mean because of Ebenezer Good? I mean... Very much so. That's the thing that, that triggered that's it. That's why they... Yeah. Hmm. You know? Okay. You've obviously got to ask him about Ebenezer Good. He's probably bored to death of talking about it, but, you know, there's a quote in there about, was it really about drugs or was it this character they created? One thing I found interesting, you know, it was a stat. I couldn't really find the stat anywhere, but... Respect you. I mean, this was a pop rave act, or they became very, very poppy. 12 UK mm-hmm. top 40 singles in the 90s. That's pretty good. Just in the 90s, 12 wow. top 40 UK singles. Of course, Ebenezer being good, being the most successful. That's a lot. Um, so look, you just, yeah. you know, ask him about that. I, I, recently I read, I don't know if you follow him on Facebook, but I read a very mm-hmm. heartfelt, open, long, lengthy missive about the problems he'd been having, his mental health, very open, very, very brave. He's incredibly brave and incredibly open, and he is just not scared to even insert himself into the most controversial issues. He is not Mm. scared to take sides, and whatever barrage of abuse he gets, he just takes it. I mean, it's... I respect him a lot. He is way braver than I would ever be. Um, mm. Sometimes I watch his post and I'm like, oh, you can see, like, it's coming. Mm. <laughs> so so it'll be interesting to talk to him and to see, like, 
why did you do that? Like, does, he must have this drive. I don't know. It'll be interesting to to see because, like I said, I could I could never imagine doing what. Well, he as did. I say, yeah, I mean, and I, he I had that. Avoid all those discussions. He had that in the in the in the sort of in those nineties rave days. He was very, you know, people were really attacking him on all fronts. This, you know, Cockney stupid blonde boy, whatever he was, as the press would attack him. He's doing his super freak. Um, nights and he organizes festivals. He did a festival, I think it was last summer. The thing I really appreciate about him as well, like he he was doing things where he would say to people, look, I know a lot of you are really struggling. This was through COVID. I know yes. many of you are struggling financially. Let me know. I want you to be part of this thing. And he was basically paying for people to to be able to come. He actually, this year, he said, guys, I can't do this anymore. It's getting too much. I actually am going to have to charge. But uh, yeah, he does really seem to come from a, um, a really giving point of view. It's all about giving, yeah. not taking. All right, well, look, do, do, I look forward to hearing the interview and sending mm-hmm. my best. And, yeah. you know, just don't go too crazy on the psychedelics. Why would I go too crazy on the psychedelics, James? I'm anyway, not saying you. It'll be interesting. Were... Okay. Uh, sh- it, it'd be interesting. It'll be good. The Shaman were a Thank very you, psychedelic James. band. The Shaman were a very psychedelic band, and okay. so used to see. Right. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Okay, that'll be good. It'll be good. Richard West, a.k.a. Mr. C, welcome onto the show. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a long time. Mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. sure. For sure. Yep. James told me the last time you guys, you weren't actually on Party Zone. It was MTV Dance that you guys were on. Yeah, yeah. And I actually presented um, uh, MTV right. Dance Top 100 of the 90s or something. That's right. Yes, yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. good memory. Wow. And, and where are you right now? Right now, I'm at, uh, in Ecuador, in Montanita, at a club called Lost Beach, which I can't think of a better club in the world. It's amazing. They've got like this main dance floor that must hold like two, 3,000 people in front of the booth. But then behind the booth, there's another dance floor for another 1,000 people. So it's like the booth is in the middle of these two floors. And then they've got like a, a cave, which is where I'm playing tonight, actually, in the cave. And we played the, the after hours happens in the cave. So on Saturday night, we closed the main floor at 4 a.m. And then everyone moved into the cave. We were still going at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh <laughs> it's my crazy. God. The cave is like an indoor club. It's part of this nightclub. It's because the, main, the most part of Lost Beach is outside. And the place that I'm in now is like a secret dance floor. They've got a radio station, like just there, there's a mirror. The mirror is actually a door. If you push it, it brings you into this little secret place where I am now. The club is unreal. It's wow, just what, the, it, it, What's it called? It's called Lost Beach Club. It, it's okay. voted number 25 in the world's best clubs in DJ magazine. But I, I can't think of 24 clubs better than this. I really can't. Everything about the production of this place, the whole setup is unreal. It's a proper labor of love. So how on earth do you do it? I, I can't even imagine to be out, <laughs> to be DJ until that time in the morning. And yeah, you're still well, doing it. 
Well, look, I'm a well-trained, oiled machine. Like when you're a DJ, uh, you know, you get used to these late nights. And also, let's bear in mind, we've just been through a pandemic. I didn't work for the best part of 18 months. And I, I used that time very much for like um, self-wellness, looking after myself, meditating every day. I quit absolutely everything, um, cigarettes, alcohol, not going out, obviously, we're on lockdown. And um, really managed to build, do a lot for myself and for my own health during that time. And now that we're back open, I'm a different animal. You know, it's like all of a sudden I grew up. I don't, I don't know. I never thought I'd ever grow up. They said, if you get to 50 and you haven't grown up yet, you don't have to. <laughs> uh, so now I don't I have to. I'm 56. So like now I don't have to. Then I, I, I am. Oh my I know. God! I know. Wow, I've got a, I've young. got a picture. I've got a picture of myself like Dorian Gray in his attic. <laughs> so wow. no, I, I, yeah, I do. I do. I do look well for my age. For yes, sure. yes, you do. And you've been at this game for so long. It's kind of. Yeah, it's, it's a kind long of, time. It's kind of crazy. I mean, you started DJing. Were you like? 16 is that right no that i was actually 21. um okay. i released my first house record in august uh, 1987 so it was ahead of the curve uh, back then we recorded that in 1986 so i'm from the very first wave of house music um so yeah i was 21. Uh, i was born in 66 so in 1987 i was 21 when i started to dj i gave up my milk round job uh, and said, right, I'm going to get involved. I, you know, doing the milk round, I loved. I loved as my last job, but it's it's hard work. And you know, that one week a month where you've got to collect all the money from all the offices, it really takes it out of you. I wanted to pay more attention and time on my music career. Um, I was going out every night of the week as when I was a milkman anyway, and it was great because I, London clubs closed at three a.m. then, and I'd like be out till three a.m., go home shower, put on my milk float overalls, and then get out there, deliver milk till 11 in the morning, and then go home and sleep all day, and wake up at eight o'clock at night, having had a nine hour sleep, have dinner, go out. <laughs> so it was a pretty good schedule. It worked really well for me. It sounds like it did. So, you know, talking about, talking about time, there's actually yeah. um, some interesting quotes from old magazine articles that James Hyman has been finding. So I want to just say... There we go. I've grown up a little bit since then, I've got to say. You know, they're actually, they're pretty cool quotes. So I'm really yeah. curious to see what you think of this. So let me play this okay. for you. Melody Maker, 3rd of October, 1992. Who says things like, percussion at certain tempos pulls you into a physiologically empowering system? Who talks about the syllogistic union of nature and technology? Who claims to have ESP? And who believes in instantaneous matter transfer? That's right, Mr. C believes in instantaneous matter transfer. Pretty soon, when the apocalypse comes, time and history will end, expounds Professor C. At that point, mankind will be in total control of time and space. That will mean, if I wanted to be in San Francisco yesterday, I could. Seriously. It's only our limitations that stop us shooting across to the other side of the room right now in no time at all. Are you saying that if the shaman had a gig to play at the Sheffield City Hall, you could get there in two seconds? Why in two seconds? asked Mr. C, genuinely puzzled. A second before we decided to go, because there's no such thing as time. The past, present and future are all now. One day, he gets all wistful, human beings will have the capacity to do anything. 
you know, I get pretty pissed off at times when I'm sitting here and I can only see as far as the walls when really I should be able to see the whole world because it's not just my eyes. Everyone is one person. So you're my eyes. Colin is my eyes. Everyone who can see is my eyes and everyone who can hear is my ears. Therefore, I should be able to see and hear everything that exists anywhere on earth. I'm, I'm glad the world is starting to catch up. Yeah, to be fair. Um, monotony maker, what I call them. Um, I don't call them melody maker, monotony maker. Uh, they ridiculed me for my views. I bet right. those that wanted to ridicule me for my views are eating humble pie right now. Now the world has um, evolved. And since 2011, we entered into the age of Aquarius. Uh, the Mayan calendar ended a five year cycle of 5,000 years of dominated culture. And we are in the midst of um, an evolutional step and probably, as Terence McKenna says, the greatest release of compressed change since the dawn of the universe. And it's on. So I, you know, um, I still go by every single word I said right there. Good. And I yeah. think, I, I guess in a way, you know, quantum physics explains a lot of the things it that does. you're saying. It, it does. Quantum mechanics and quantum physics does explain things clearly. And it's great to see that quantum mathematics are catching up and science is catching up with spirituality. And it's, it's overlapping, um, you know, the doors of perception. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, these headphones that I'm wearing are made of exactly the same atoms as this T-shirt as my hand. And those atoms are a photon and an, an, uh, surrounded by a neutron and an electron vibrating at various frequencies to form the illusion of a solid object. So this, these headphones are not solid headphones. They're atoms vibrating at a specific frequency to appear to be headphones. So therefore it's only our perception that says that this is a pair of headphones. Um, now the way that, that, that that's quantum physics, that's quantum mechanics. But if you look at the spiritual world, um, and especially meditation, when you meditate and you come into the moment, into that point of nothingness, your concentration and focus is on nothingness. And so you achieve that point of nothingness. And when you get there, there's no space or time because they're things. And if there's no space or time, the past, the present, and the future in every dimension of the multiverse are all in that point of nothingness, meaning that everything, nothing is everything. And that is the same space where we start to have our perception of what it is with the illusion that it is we're seeing. So this phone is no more real than the dreams I had last night. It's all part of the great illusion that we can manipulate. And so I still, I think that what that quote from Monotony Maker was absolutely spot on. It's kind of amazing how well you put things into words, because to me, a lot of this stuff, it's kind of like, I get it for a second and then it's gone again, then I don't get it. It's yeah. kind of like, it's such right, a yeah. mind blow. I think you the know. hardest thing is to, when, when you say to someone that everything is a new illusion, that's a difficult thing to get your head around because this bottle of water looks real to me. Mm -hmm. My hand looks pretty real too. How is that an illusion? But if those at if, if it's atoms vibrating at a specific frequency to f give to form a solid object, it's, it can't be real because that hand is not solid. It's billions of atoms vibrating to give us the illusion that it's solid. So it's not solid, and it's only our perception that creates that which we perceive, which is quantum mechanics. It, 
It is a mind blow though, isn't it? It's really, it's such a hard it's thing. It's pretty, I was, yeah. I was talking actually to Howie B about this because he is such a genius. You know, he, we were talking about when someone asks him to create an emotion in music or even he says someone can tell him, make it sound like the color red and he will be able to take that, start working with it and then... Yeah make the music that that fits with that but then yeah well i i think all good musicians can do that um you know that's what real musicians do it's creating yeah. shapes with music but then to me the real magic is like you were saying about moving molecules so he then creates the music which makes the molecules vibrate which go into yeah. someone's inner ear their eardrum vibrates and at that same frequency and they that in their brain translate it into music so it's like it goes through all these different stages. Yeah. It's just now, it, here's the good bit, that what is going on in his brain is happening because of consciousness. He is conscious. He is conscious of everything around him. He's conscious of all his seven senses and the way everything is working. And he is able to then use that consciousness to create. Right now, consciousness is one. There's only one consciousness. There's no word consciousness as I am consciousness. You are consciousness. How we be is consciousness. Every single person, animal, being on this planet and in this universe are consciousness. And there's only one of them, which means we're all intrinsically linked. Mm. And that's where, when we get an idea for something, it comes from, where is this domain of yeah. the ideas? Yeah. Where are they coming from? They're coming from consciousness. And we are all that. So if you are that consciousness, which is the creative consciousness and intelligence of the universe then you are what religious people would call god yourself and that is why the law of attraction works yeah that is what the law of attraction is all about uh, how he was saying because when i said oh my god it's such a crazy thing to try and get you to wrap your head around me he's like yeah but you shouldn't think about it he's like the minute you start thinking about it it doesn't work you just have to yeah. get out your own way it's and absolutely just... spot on it's yeah it's if you think if you overthink things you make them a problem you know like uh, think as a child and you will be free yeah from the programming the tyranny of the programming that we've been forced upon us since early childhood and we, if we stop thinking about things and come into the moment and do them that's where the magic happens I love it. You you sound like a shaman. <laughs> uh, uh, that, you know, um, I've actually and there uh, you since, were with the shaman. Yeah, well, since since we moved into the age of Aquarius um, in August two thousand and eleven, I started teaching and I teach meditation. Um, I'm a life coach. I help people to completely change their way of thinking by giving them techniques to rewire their neurological pathways and. Uh, I explain the law of attraction fully, how it works, how meditation increases the power of the law of attraction, of attraction as does gratitude. And there's so much that we're still to learn, but we're, we're well on the way. And being in the moment, living life in mindfulness is part of that. So if we can stop thinking about things and stop doing them, that's where the real beauty of life is. I'll give you an example. Imagine that you walk out of your house and it's a bit cloudy and then all of a sudden you, you notice the cloud moves from, and you start to feel the warmth of the sun on your face and it feels good. And then all of a sudden there's a gentle breeze and that feels really nice. And then you notice the song of the bird and it's beautiful. 
And then as you're walking, you notice that there's a, a, a someone's front garden and there's a rose bush, and you see the vibrant red of the rose bush. And then as you walk past it, you get the bouquet of the rose and you smell it. Now that all, that all just happened in say 20 seconds, as long as it took, or 30 seconds. Now imagine, instead, you walk out of your house, you're worried about your bills, you're worried about getting to work on time, you're worried about this thing happening, you don't notice the sun come from behind the clouds, you don't notice the wind on your face, you don't hear the song of the bird because you're listening to the voices in your head, you don't notice the rose bush and you don't get the bouquet of it as you walk past. That's not living. So mindfulness is being aware of what you are actually doing and enjoying it. And if you don't think, you don't overcomplicate, doing mm. is living. And that's probably what how we met. Yeah, he talked about the action of listening. And yeah. then and, and, yes. and keeping it and keeping it um, empty enough, having enough empty spaces for people to fill things in themselves as well. I actually yeah. want to play another quote for you. Um, this okay. is also very much along the lines of, of the stuff that we're talking about right now. So I believe the recent rise in house music culture has been specifically because of rhythms and drumming. Through these rhythms, people have been connected back to their tribal consciousness and they've actually got into a new way of life and they don't know why. Kids go to clubs and discover whatever and they dance the night away in an altered state and they've never been told why. Boss Drum explains the relevance of drums. It's a group thing and that's the whole point. Creating this telepathic community and gaining some kind of a vision from this whole group energy and taking that vision out to the mainstream. It's a collective vision. It comes from having taken people on a journey and taking them through as many different moods as you can so they experience different feelings together as a whole unit. The good thing about house music is dancing and forming that energy and like helping the planet through all that energy. The planet feels you dancing, it knows you're dancing, it feels the vibrations because you're connecting with the idea, you're connecting with the world through the power of the dance, it feels that. That's the whole point of drums. No change there, then. So you were quite eloquent already back then, you know, way more yeah. than just a rapper, you know? You yeah. really had yeah. something to I, say. No, I, I, started, yeah, I started meditating uh, in 1983 uh, using the law of attraction to map out everything that um, I've made for myself, my map out my path, to map out my journey, and I've been able to be lucky enough to watch the universe unfold for me, which is my illusion, as I intended it to. And um, yeah. the dance, and the power of dance, and the power of rhythm is undeniable. And if we look for like that interview uh, was back in 1992, which is 30 years ago, we're at the 30 year anniversary of the Bostrom album. And um, it holds true. There's now millions and millions of people around the world dancing to physiologically empowering rhythms called house and techno music or drum and bass or rave or whatever it is they want to call it every weekend, forming telepathic communities, helping the planet and still going on. It's amazing that we're still here all this time later and it's just, it works. So how important do you think um, were the mind-altering substances, LSD, ecstasy? Because now, of course, people are talking about using these in, in therapy. Um, yeah. But of course, yeah. back then, 
the kids mm. were taking it, but I didn't really know. I mean, stuff was happening, but no one yeah. quite well, knew at, at, why yeah. or what to do with it. But yeah. what do you think? Yeah, what's well, what's been well, the long term Well, MDMA is uh, being used now for uh, post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. very, very, very successfully. And um, I'm not surprised because there's a special quality with MDMA and it's none of the other analogs like MDA or MDO, it's MDMA that um, it has a power that makes you open uh, the key to that locked door within that you hide your trauma. Yeah, and I've seen it many times when people take their first ecstasy pill, uh, people get very, can become very emotional and uh, you know, the, if things come up that they've hidden away, it unlocks that box. And that's why um, ecstasy is being used successfully for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, it's also being used successfully physiologically <clears throat> for multiple sclerosis. And there's been lots of things. Um, in America, where I live now, in California, um, uh, the, the use of magic mushrooms has now been approved by uh, the medical world for helping with, with psychological issues as well. Um, you know, someone 30 years ago said these were good. <laughs> they may have been right. <laughs> <laughs> and you were vilified, basically. I mean, that's, that's, that's one thing. I was I vilified. Mean, you... You were totally. I mean, you were just. But seen also, as like, let me say something. Let me let me let me just yeah, let me point something out here. Um, yeah, I was I was vilified um, for talking about the, the benefits of ecstasy, but um, thirty years later, it's still a soft drug. It's not a hard drug like heroin or cocaine or other things like that. It's soft, and that's why it's it's being used in such a way. And yes, there have been. A very unfortunate fatalities of people that have taken ecstasy, uh, but may, they may have overdosed on it, or they. And most of those people had pre-existing conditions, like people having heart problems, or water on the brain, or all these various different issues that have, have gone. And more people in the last thirty years have died from eating peanuts per capita yeah. than from yeah. eating ecstasy. And that's yeah. like if you say, like you know. Um, it should be downgraded to class C, or it should even be legal. It is a soft drug. And all of these years later, I myself have continued my use of ecstasy. And um, I, I look well, I'm great. My cognitive abilities are perfect. I'm more creative by the day. I'm in fact, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life. And I, you know, I literally ate ecstasy pills every weekend for the last 30 years, apart from the last lockdown. Yeah, and I, it, it hasn't harmed me in any way. And you know, back then people would say, oh, well, you don't know what the long-term effects are gonna be when I started taking it in 1986. Um, well, now I do know what the long-term effects will be. They we can be use you as a case zero. study. <laughs> they will be zero. Yeah, I, I could be used as a case study. The yeah. amount of ecstasy pills that I've eaten is quite ridiculous. Like, to, to add them up would be insane. And, um, and I, I still say that, you know, ecstasy is the way forward for, you know, helping people with their early traumas and helping people to come back to something and to celebrate life and form a telepathic community. Um, so I, I still believe that it's a good thing. I still believe that it's working. And, I, you know, I'll stand by what I said 30 years ago. These are good. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, but tell me, I mean, I heard you talk about some, an additional story behind the Ebenezer Goods track and the lyrics. I mean, is there any, any additional truth? Is there a second story where, I don't know, yeah. was it Colin well, who ran up to you and said, I have this great yeah. idea? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go through the story. Tell me the story, please. Um, basically, what happened was we was it was a we was a synergy versus decadence at the Town and Country Club in um, early '92 or late '91, and um, Colin came into the dressing room and he said, "Richard, E's are good." I'm like, "Yeah, they are. They're fantastic." <laughs> and he's like, "No, but Richard, E's are good. E's are good." I'm like, "Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are." <laughs> and he's like, "No, Richard, listen to me." He's a good, he's a good, he's Ebenezer good. I'm like, song? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, tell me. He's like, yeah, this dude, you just come up, put his arms on my shoulders and you're in. He's a good, he's a good. And I thought in my head, this is Colin talking to me. Colin said, I thought, uh, he's a good, he's Ebenezer good. Isa is, an, is short for Ebenezer and it's a song. I'm like, okay, tell me more. He's like, right, so you Londoners, you drop your H's. Oh yeah, he did it, him. Yeah, you drop your you drop your H's. So I want you to do a song where you drop the H on the word he. And the song is going to be about a character that we make up. And we made this character up out of a comp it's a composite character of people that we really know. DJs, a couple of drug dealers, a couple of party promoters, a lighting engineer. And we, we made up this composite character. And so the song is about this character, which was the story we went with at the time, which was true because it's two songs running parallel in one, which I'll explain. All right, so we went with the song A. The song A is about this composite character who's a party person. He gets the party going, and you know, he's the life and soul of the of the rave. Um, but the second song is if you drop the H from the word he, it becomes a completely different song. So you've got now you've got one song about this fictional character, and you've got another song about E, about ecstasy, and they're both running like on a parallel line to each other, like a train track, two completely different songs. And that was the magic, and that was the bit that we didn't let on until much later on. And there was a tribunal, the, the BBC questioned us heavily about, um, E's are good, E's are good, and it says E's are good, we said, no, it doesn't say E's are good, it says E's are good. And in the first verse, that's, um, you know, justified in the in the first verse by the saying his friends call him Isa and he is the main Isa and he vibes up the place. Like the main so that justified <laughs> the chorus saying Isa good. Yeah, this is short for Ebenezer. So that was justified right from the get go. Um, and we was never asked about the verses, and that's where all the magic is. That's where the second song is. That's like you know. The whole thing, you know, he's refined, he's sublime, he makes you feel fine, though it's very much maligned and misunderstood. And it's every line, <laughs> it's every single line. It is absolutely magic. So this is two songs running together as a parallel. Oh, I love it. it yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's every but, line. But then, of course, things just went crazy and you suddenly were from really coming from the underground and being such a yes. big part of the whole rave scene. And then suddenly you were like pop stars. Yeah, catapulted is the word we use from, uh, you know, like obviously uh, Move Any Mountain, uh, right. number 50, 53 in the Great pop charts. Show. 
and that was that was in, on its first release and then that was followed up by hyper real which got a little higher and that was followed by make it mine and that got a little higher but all that time we hadn't had a top 20 hit and move any mountain was still being played in the clubs like it became a cult song um so we decided to redo the video uh, which we still use the same uh, beat masters uh, version but we redid the video in Tenerife and bang it was number four in the pop charts Um, so that was my first experience of being in the pop charts but it wasn't until the next year in 92 that we released uh, Love Sex Intelligence and then Ebenezer Good flying in at number one that actually um, stopped uh, that helped us get to this next stage Um, uh, 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 and for me yeah, yeah, the kids have come in. Ah, it's the kids. <laughs> it's the kids. Uh, right, so anyway, so yeah, we was catapulted to number one, and then all of a sudden, um, I'm this recognizable face, and it really struck me. I was um, going, we're number one in the pop charts, and I'm, you know, wearing what I wear because I like to wear it, like what I would wear all the black the futuristic like stuff I would wear with the shaman. That was what I'd wear walking up the street on a normal day, because that's what I'm into fashion. Um, so I'd be getting dressed up and like like just to go record shopping, putting on all my black stuff and bleach white hair. And I'm sitting on the tube train and all of a sudden uh, the door opens in Houston and all these Man United supporters get on, like loads of them. And they look at me and one of them's gone, He's a good, he's a good. And with that, the, they've all started and I've got a carriage full of Man United fans all giving it, pointing at me going, he's a good, he's a good, which is great because we, we wanted it to get sung by soccer support, football supporters. We wanted that to be a charm um, and, you know, obviously change the words to whatever. And it was full on, they were going, he's, I wanted the ground to open up the swallow me. Warren Street tube station was the next station. So we was able to, um, come out but I, I got straight off of uh, it's like right I'm out of here uh, and then I jumped got out and jumped on a bus for the rest of the journey oh my goodness there's a quote another um, magazine article that basically just sums up how crazy things got so let me play this one mix mag June 1993 the April 1993 issue of Britain's Bible du pop smash hits was even more of a bonanza bargain than usual, with four, four free gifts included in the price. Along with the large and lovely poster of Take That, the Ace stickers and stylish see-through wash bag, you got your very own stand-up cardboard pop star, not actual size. The choice, Take That's Hunky Mark, Delectable Tony from E17, Michael Jackson, the King of Pop, and Mr. C. 27-year-old Holloway-born Richard East, a.k.a. Mr. C, officially joined The Shaman in May 91. He had been rapping for seven years, emceeing for five, and had been a DJ at some of London's most influential and groundbreaking house clubs since he was 22. Less than two years later, he's a six-inch giveaway puppet that falls over if you sneeze too hard. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Yeah, I, do, I, do I remember? I've got a story for you. Um, right, when that came out, that couple cut out, like, yeah, it was, there was Michael Jackson, there was um, Take That, one of the Take That boys, and there was me. And uh, one of my friends in Portsmouth used to work for the distribution of Loaded magazine. 
that it came out in. And basically, uh, I was DJing down in Portsmouth, like uh, when it was out, and um, he basically got 400, he was taking them out of the magazines, the Mr. C ones, and he took them all to the club. So everyone that walked in the door got a cardboard cutout, right? And then when I've come, they're all like told, like, don't wait until he goes on the decks. Right, I've gone on the decks and the entire club is holding up their cardboard cutouts of Mr. C, all shouting. <laughs> it was the funniest thing that ever happened. I was like, wow. So that is something that I, will, I won't forget in a hurry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only that had been filmed. It, that that was it was absolutely brilliant. You couldn't you couldn't write it. You, so you couldn't script this stuff. You know. <laughs> so that was a shame that back then we didn't have the phones, right? These days, it, yeah. it would have been it would have been filmed by everyone. Yeah, that would have been viral. Uh, yeah, uh, hilarious, absolutely hilarious. But that's something that will live with me forever. And um, yeah, that little six-inch cardboard cutout <laughs> of me giving it all that. <laughs> <laughs> But, but how how nuts was that to suddenly be like this pop star and it was crazy. Up in it, a was, way. it was it <laughs> was yeah it was and yeah it was crazy. Um, I wasn't a bad looking young man, and uh, you know I did become a pinup, and I'm still getting it now. Like people like women coming on my Mr C page on Facebook saying, "Oh, I had such a crush on you when I was young." I hear it all the time. Like, what do you mean had? What's the had? What's this had? <laughs> What's all this had business? <laughs> You know, you know what? So you you are so un-British, like the way you just—I don't know. I mean, you're you're meant to make fun of yourself as a British person, but yeah. you're never meant to say I'm good looking or I'm a good DJ or I'm good at that. And you just go, yeah, I am. Yeah, no, no <laughs> you know, I, I, um, yeah, I think some but people how, might how look, at, look at that as being a little bit um, uh, opinionated about myself, or but I'm very, I'm, I'm obviously I'm very confident and I'm aware of my abilities and um, I'm aware of um, the way my mind works and the way I look and um, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm one of, I, I definitely struck gold um, when the universe put me on this planet. And yeah, I, like, you know, I can look at myself and say, I, I, was, I was a good looking young boy. <laughs> I'm not feeling any problem with it. Um, you know, and I was the same, but like doing interviews, I'd be like, you know, what I do on the decks, very few people can do. And I never had a problem saying that. Never a yeah. at all. Well, in that same article you said, I mean, I actually cut a little bit out because it was it was a bit too long. But after that thing where it said you were a blow away cutout, you also said, but hold on, I'm actually a really good DJ and I have fans who support yeah. me to no end and who will fight you if you say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got those sorts of fans. Um, because obviously after like uh, 35 years, uh, this year, I'll be 35 years as a professional DJ this year. And um, I've not uh, changed my uh, love of innovative and forward thinking and fun and mischievous dance music. And, uh, you know, I still play very underground house, acid house, tech house, techno, electro breaks. I still mix it up. I'm still um, known as a tastemaker. So I'm getting sent a lot of promos ahead of time uh, because it's, you know, look, record labels, it's important for people like me to be playing their music um, in my DJ sets uh, so that they can use those like recordings and DJ streams to promote their product and 
um, I'm, I've always been a ta taste maker, and my, unfortunately, you know, I've seen DJs they start off underground, and then they have like a successful record that's a bit more generic, and then all, all of a sudden they change, and they become like generic DJs playing lowest common denominator sounds. Uh, I never really got captured in that, and so even today, I'm still doing what I've always loved and playing forward-thinking, innovative dance music that's fun and mischievous on the dance floor. But, but it must just be your confidence. I mean, I'm sure with a lot of people, once they, it, it's easy to, to try and achieve something, but then once you reach a certain level, people get too scared to lose it. And stop yeah, taking I, think, risks. I, 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 and I don't think you're... it's confidence. I think it's no? foolishness. I think I'm an idiot. Um, you know, uh, I'm not one of these $50,000 a gig DJs. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm not even 10% of that. Yeah. Um, and I think if I'd have gone down a generic road and like been acted like an absolute, I, don't, I won't swear, uh, behind a DJ booth, giving it all that to the right. crowd and all the. Uh, all the all that if I did all that rubbish and made myself look like a complete twat and played generic music uh, I'd probably be a 50 grand a week uh, 50 grand a gig DJ but I'm not so um, it might be foolish yeah. that I haven't exploited that and uh, it might be foolish that I didn't exploit my notoriety as a crazy pop star with the shaman and go down a more commercial route musically as a DJ and as a producer but uh, my heart wouldn't let me do it. Uh, you know, I have a love of music that is undeniable that I can't get away from and I stick stick to my guns and stick with what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and I mean, like, I mean, like you were saying, I mean, you could live with yourself. You're happy with yourself. You're happy in your own skin. Had you done those other things, you might not have been in this position right now where you just feel like... No, I'll, I've seen them come and I've seen them go. And I would have been one of those that had come and gone. But right. here I am, 35 years later, in the best nightclub in the world that I've been having a fantastic time with her. I'm playing again tonight on a beach in Ecuador. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to complain. Uh, wow. you know, I've just started touring uh, my, my record label, Super Freak. Uh, this is 20th anniversary. Uh, which is 20th anniversary? Yeah. Uh, so and the label's still going strong as an outlet for new talent and underground music. And I'm, I'm now celebrating that with a whole bunch of tours and I'm fully booked. Uh, so although I've had a couple of hard years not working and had to get unemployment benefit in America uh, to, to, to survive and, and help pay the bills through the pandemic, I'm now coming out of the other end of it and I'm back to work and I'm grateful and I'm happy that I can still go around the world and DJ and get paid decent money to earn a great living. I live in a beautiful home in the hills of Echo Park in Los Angeles. Uh, I, you know, we drive a great car, I travel where I want, I wear great clothes, I eat really good food. I don't need any more. What, what else do I need? What else is there? Uh, it, well, <laughs> this is it. Well, like, well, these DJs that are earning $50,000 a show, you know, they're doing 10 shows a month. That's half a million dollars a month. It's a bit mad. I know. It's a bit mad. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy, you know, I'll be I like, you know, even earning, if I earned in one month what they earned in one gig would be impossible, you know, like, but it, for me, it's not important. Like, I don't have to play to a room full of cheesy kids that have had to take out loans to buy a ticket. Yeah. I'm playing to rooms full of clued up specialists that can afford to come and hear me play.
Yeah. And don't and you think, but don't you think as well, I mean, you know, both of us, we've been at certain levels and, and, and had certain levels of success and, and you're there and you start to realize that that's not actually the thing that gives you happiness. I'm not saying it yeah. makes you unhappy, no. but it's also not what makes you happy. It's just... I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have been happy playing commercially. Right. Like uh, as a DJ, I, I couldn't do it. I wouldn't be happy doing it. No. No. And I've had and I've had DJs, I won't name him, uh, them, but like, I've had DJs actually say to me that like I've been DJing, they're like, Mr. C, that set was amazing, you blew my mind. I wish I could play music like that. I'm like, well, what would you mean? Of course you can. They're like, no, my crowd expect me to play this sort of stuff mm. and it's more obvious. And I'm like, you know, I wish I could play just be go really underground and play all the stuff that I love like that, but I just can't because my fans wouldn't allow it or accept it and the promoters wouldn't allow it and accept it. Wow. And they're not ha that means they're not happy with yeah. earning all that money playing commercial yeah. music and yeah. here i am happy as larry like a right. pig in poo you know <laughs> like absolutely loving it as much as i did 35 years ago when i started oh that's great. A brilliant time and talking about talking about money let me play another clip for you this is the face december 1992. if the transformation of a group of indie revivalists into new age messiahs was hard to swallow then Mr. C's Ebenezer rantings reaching number one took the disco biscuit. <laughs> Surviving into 1992 against the odds, the shaman are now releasing records that are going right over people's heads. Just how far can they go? Mr. C quotes, smash hits, 14th to 27th of October, 1992. Mr. C whips out a tape, cranks the volume up and settles back. Has fame changed him then? The only difference is people think I've got loads of money these days, says Mr. C. That's why when anyone says, are you Mr. C from The Shaman? I'm going to ask to borrow a tenner off of them just to see how many tenors I get. And I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I, uh, people come up to me and say, are you Mr. C from The Shaman? I say, yeah, give us a tenner. They're like, what? Did you? No. I, you... Oh, yeah, I've done it so many times. <laughs> yeah. And some of them actually give you, take, them, take a tenner out of their wallet. Gave that it is... To me. That is so funny. But the thing I noticed, so because I follow you on social media, and so last year when you did your event, was it the Super Freak? Was it, it the, the festival that you did? In oh, Summer Love Festival. That was my so, debut festival. Yeah. Right. And I saw you post on, on Facebook back then. You said, look, I know um, COVID has been really tough on many of you. Let me know if you can't afford the entrance fee and I want you all to be able to come. And you were helping all these people out. And then this year I saw you post say, okay, guys, whatever I was doing last year, that was great, but I can't keep doing this. I'm actually going to have to start charging you guys. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it got, it's very difficult. Um, I, like last year when I did the festival, a lot of people were furloughed and people were broke and people couldn't work. And, you know, like this festival was amazing, but I charged the early birds £20 for a festival. The second release was £30 and the fourth release was £40. And that was it. Wow. And then we, I, I let 400 people in for free. Hmm. on that festival as well and it was magical and I always do that um, like even with like Super Freak I'd usually say to my friends like you know if anyone's broke shout me up and holler but on this event I couldn't do it uh, just because I've lost so much money uh, you know putting on events that were half attended 
because of COVID, uh, once you know, things opened up, you know, and I'd lost money and I've been broke myself. I've not been earning anything and I've been living off my credit cards for the last five months. And now I'm back to work and I'm going to pay them all off. So I'm feeling fantastic, but it was difficult. And like, you know, lo lots of people kept messaging me, oh, can I get on a guest list? Can I get a concessions? I'm like, well, how about you pay for a change? Yeah. It, it kind of, I bit it. I was like, you know what? We're, we've all, nobody should be asking any promoters for a guest list or a concessions list right now. Um, so I decided I would put my foot down for this one. And incidentally, um, after that, after that post, um, war started. And I'm now donating 100% of all the profits of that event to helping displaced children from war-torn regions. Nice. So I still want people to go and uh, buy the ticket and they're not getting on the guest list and they're not getting the concessions. But every single penny profit made is going to help me war-torn children. And that's yeah. my decision because that's what I want to do to help. I, I mean, I totally admire you. You really seem to take a stand and you're n never scared to take a stand like this i mean no. this is quite an obvious one you know everybody knows uh, how terrible it is what's happening in the ukraine but even on, on other subjects whether it's um you know physical or, or sexual abuse either within the yeah. music industry on yeah. the dance floor um yeah. or if it's about covid or, or whatever the issue is it's like you are just going straight in you tell people what you think you get a barrage of abuse and you take yeah. it. It's where, take does, it, where because, does the bravery come from? You're well, so brave. It's because I'm, a, I'm an elder in our scene. I'm one of the um, original first wave of DJs and producers and um, looked at as um, a respected elder. Um, not many DJs went on to become number one double platinum selling pop stars. Not many DJs went on to become UK songwriter of the year with an Ivor Bella. Not many people go, uh, have got the voice that I've got. <clears throat> and I regard it as a responsibility to our community to stand up and be a leader. And mm -hmm. that's what it's about. It's not about me, it's not about my ego, but sometimes things need to be said. And we're a community and, you know, a com all communities need its leaders and people that are gonna step up um, against things that may be looked at in some sort of adversity and stand up and say something about it. Like, you know, with the, the, the standing up against sexual abuse, you know, rape, um, you know, women should be able to wear what they want in a nightclub. They should, if they go want to wear a really cute little dress, you should be able to. It's a dress, not a yes. And someone's got to speak up uh, against like people that are abusing their positions of power within our industry, which upsets me because the, this is all meant to be peace, love, and chocolate mousse. Like, you know, that's what we're meant to be doing here, House of Techno, the ravers. We're meant to be the ones that are all full of love and kindness and, and empathy. Yeah, uh, and when you've got people that are predators coming onto our scene and becoming predators and abusing their positions as DJs or promoters or club owners or even just guys grabbing girls' bums on the dance floor, it's a no. And we have to stand up against all kinds of abuse like that. And I was sexually abused as a child, like from the age of 10 to the age of 13 on a daily basis by a man. And I've been lucky enough to transcend the traumas of that and still be a good person and still be able to do something. So for me, sexual abuse is a big deal. And, mm -hmm. and I have a certain responsibility to our community as a scene elder to step up to the plate and say things as, as they are. And I felt the same about COVID. I, I spoke out against 
DJs DJing at plague graves uh, in the height of, of the pandemic when there was no vaccine available. Uh, you know, I've spoke out against all sorts. I, I've promoted the, the, the vaccine and I've had anti-vaxxers ask me if I'm being paid by like big pharma, you know, and I've always been against big pharma, but I'm against people dying. I follow the science, I follow citation, so I know that the spike has changed, and it's the spike that made it SARS, yeah, uh, because of the way that it clings. So, because of the way the, 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 spike, the, way the spikes cling to the ACE2 receptors in our mucous membranes, be those in the lungs or in the brain or in the kidneys, they cling like leeches, like superglue. And then after 10 days, the virus dies, but the spikes are still clinging. And that, so the G, the, your, uh, your T cells are saying there's still a problem and sending more antibodies to that area, which is where the mucous membranes are, which is forming the mucus that people are dying in like drowning it, which is a pneumonia, and that's SARS. Well, since Omicron, that spike has changed, and that is because of si over 6 billion shots given of a vaccine that is, or various vaccines, that are based on the spike protein. For the virus to survive, it had to mutate the spike protein, and that's what Omicron is. Mm. And we're at the beginning of the end. And, it, and in only two years, it's not by the grace of God. Um, Spanish flu, a hundred years ago, took five years for the spikes to mutate enough that it was no longer a, a respiratory issue that was killing people. This has taken only two, and it's because six billion shots have been given. Now, I don't believe that the vaccines are completely safe. Um, there's been problems with them, and I think that these problems need to be investigated, and I will stand next to the anti-vaxxers. Coming back to you being a good case study, <laughs> that your mind is still <laughs> working well after all yes, these years is. of using ecstasy. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, it's like it's like listening to a scientist. It's it's quite yeah. I, I'm I, very the, well read. Yeah, but you're very well read. Good. I like to read. Yeah, me too. I read like crazy, but I can't put it back into words as well as you do. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm a little bit jealous. I'm very fortunate was... to be able to I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. And I often make posts and people are saying, Oh, you've said what I was thinking, but I couldn't have put it into words right. like that. And I'm lucky, I'm a writer. And that I'm able to put things into layman's terms and make them understandable. And yeah. that's a gift that I've got that I can like read read about something and then put it into really simple terms that anybody can understand. Right. And again, as as a an elder in our community, it's my responsibility to do so. Yeah. And look at the success you've had with it. You had twelve top forty UK singles. I mean, that's one hit wonder. They say one hit right. wonder. Right. <laughs> twelve. Right. Yeah. And then also, yeah. was it in nineteen ninety five? Just the last question. Did, were you guys the first to upload an album or a single online? Was that right with the show? Yeah, well, the we were the first, we were actually the first people to perform online. Mm. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we were the first people to actually perform online. And yeah, we uploaded it online, but it was more about being able to perform and do a live set online. And we were the first, yeah. Um, you know, we talked about it with lots of people and we were always very innovative as a band. I mean, my partner Colin is an absolute genius. He's got degrees in uh, chemistry, physics, microbiotics, like he's an absolute genius. Are you guys still in contact and when exactly did you part ways? Because that was never quite clear to me. Right. Um, yeah, we, we are still in contact. Um, haven't seen him since the pandemic is on and, uh, you know, he does his thing, I do mine. We have very different lifestyles. 
uh, but we're always in contact when it comes to approving like syncs for um, our songs on commercials or anything that's being used for compilation albums and you know you know now pop 3976 <laughs> uh, you know so we're, we're still in, in contact to approve things like that and we were we hadn't seen each other for a couple of good two or three years before the pandemic and we were actually threatening to come together when i'm in london and go for some bites of food and all that uh, but we haven't uh, managed to do that so hopefully um, i'm going to be back in london next week and i'm going to be there for five weeks and that'll be a good time to uh, actually sit down and go and see him go and break some bread together because it's been a minute um so uh yeah we don't we don't we're not in big contact but we're, we're still on fantastic terms with a, a lot of love for each other i know that will never go away and um yeah so you know when we did we did our last album in 1998 it was after that, it was like, you know, it's time to stop. We did that on Moksha Records. And, you know, that, that at that point, it was like, okay, enough. You know? But will you ever perform together again? Wouldn't that be fun? No. It's, no. It, it, no, it would be no. fun. But look, we're no Rolling Stones. <laughs> you know, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm 56. Colin's probably got a year or two on me. He's 57 or 58. And it's a young man's game. And we really did have the best of it in our 20s and early 30s. And we really did roll it out there. And, you know, uh, while it might be nice to do some uh, festivals or something and, like, modernise the sound for live and do that sort of thing, we're too old. It's not going to happen. Nonsense! No. No. Well, It's a young man's game. We're, you know... <laughs> Technosauruses. You, you, you can say that about DJing and you're still doing it. But Yeah, that's true. But, you know, um, I don't, you know, I'm a very young, I'm a young 56. So people think I'm 40. But so, uh, yeah, I could still do it. But again, do. um, I don't see myself like DJing in, in my 60s. I really don't. And I'm a trained method actor. And I know that acting is going to take over. So I will still be an artist and I will still be a performer and I will still be an entertainer. Yeah. But I think there will be a shift from music into acting. And that's already started. Like okay. Just before the pandemic, I did my first lead role in a short film um, called I Am Anna. It's hardcore drama. And uh, it picked up a few international awards. And I'm very proud of it. It's only 13 minutes. And it's hard hitting. It's high drama. It's it's a subject that's taboo, and so well worth a watch. I won't tell you any more than that because okay. I don't want to spoil it for anybody that wants to watch. But that's something that I'm definitely going to be uh, pursuing. Okay, interesting. Hey, and then of course the festival. So if people want to go to the festival, are there still tickets yes. available? And when? Yeah, well, that, well the, the fest the festival isn't until September, and we haven't even started selling tickets. Okay. So we just we just announced it. Uh, the Super Freak 20th Anniversary Tour. Tickets are still available. So just for all these different gigs that you're doing and for the festival, where do people go? Is there a website or just your social media? Yeah, I think, yeah. So my social my social media is always the best place. Um, okay. I post everything on my Mr. C pages. Uh, all my URLs are uh, MRC Super Freak. Uh, Super Freak is spelled with F-R-E-Q, not F-R-E-A-K. Uh, so like frequency, so it's MRC Super Freak for Instagram, Twitter, 
Facebook, etc., SoundCloud, Mixcloud. When I'm back in Europe, I'm going to go and see where you're playing and I'm going to go show up for sure. And awesome. I won't well, ask for a, I won't ask for a free <laughs> ticket. I'll pay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, it, if it's not if it's not my event, I don't care. <laughs> if it, <laughs> I can put everyone on the guest list if it's not my. Event. Oh. well, thank you so much for being on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you, Richard. Thank you so Simone, much. Simone, a real pleasure to see you again. Fantastic interview. Thank Great you. questions. Thank you for having me on board. I really appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I'm very zen today. Did Mr. C make you feel zen? Yes, because I've just done the Mr. C guided meditation on SoundCloud and it's really good. Nice. It's really good. And the interview is really good as well. He really is a shaman. I mean, the guy is smart. Mm. Oh always, my always God. was. I actually Unbelievable. think I actually think in some yeah. ways what they were pushing was so ahead of its time, you know, all that sort of the shamanism, the mysticism. Yeah. It it was you know, you go back again, you read all that stuff. It was very groundbreaking, their kind of philosophies at the time. Yeah. He really feels that he's been vindicated when people were making fun of him way back when. And he said, look, he said everything, science has caught up, quantum physics has, has caught up. And all the things that he was saying back then, he still stands by them today. And he explains everything very eloquently. Did he seem happier? Was he relaxed? Yeah, very. I think, again, like everyone else, all the artists I've spoken to, they've all had a hard time going through COVID and not being able to go out and do what they love, to play, to be with the audience, um, to be DJing. So he was uh, super excited and he was in Ecuador, an amazing club. So that was great. And the other thing that was funny was that um, we were talking a little bit about Howie B because with Howie B, we touched on some of these subjects. And when I just did the Mr. C guided meditation, he was talking about listening to the silence in between the sounds, the space in between the sounds. And I'm like, oh, that was how we be. So there you go. It all comes around again. It does. It's very cosmic. I like listening to the silence with you the other week on the way to Unlimited. And there was a beautiful parrot. There like always now. is a beautiful parrot. Beautiful Atmos. <laughs> Atmos, there you are. Yes. Yes, it was good. Well done.